Welcome to You Need a Coach, Bitch. I'm your host, Chris Hale. I'm a certified life coach and coach instructor. I'm also a master dance educator and self-proclaimed Zenial Pop Diva. Every week, I bring you a conversation to help you harness your inner authority by popping the patriarchy and crafting the life of your dreams. Are you ready to unleash your inner creator? Let's go. What's up, besties? Happy Thursday. I have had a crazy couple of weeks. All good stuff. But now I am just in a little bit of recovery mode. Um, I actually took Tuesday off. And not because I was like super keen to celebrate the 4th, but like just so that I could get some actual downtime. And I relaxed at home. I swam. I played Super Mario 3. Like what? I watched TV. I napped. I did all the amazing downtime things. Also, update on Ultimatum. I've gone back to it, and it turns out I just needed to make it through, like, the first 40 minutes (laughs) for things to get interesting. And what got interesting is Vanessa. Whoa, she's unhinged. She's kind of the worst, like, in the best way. What is she even doing? And I'm now hooked. So we're back on the Ultimatum train. Also, I saw JoJo in Moulin Rouge, And it was everything I hoped it would be. If you follow me on IG, you may have seen that we saw the Saturday matinee, but then found out that Aaron Tveit had to fill in for the evening show because all of the other Christians called out. Sigh. Like, the guy we saw was good, but no one is Aaron. Saw him in it originally right before lockdown, like seriously, a week before we went into lockdown and he was unbelievable. He's always unbelievable. Also, in a crazy like seven degrees of separation moment, he actually went to the high school in the next town over from me. I guess he must have lived in the next town over from me. Um, And I actually saw him as Tony in West Side Story when he was like a junior in high school or something. Even crazier, I think his dad actually built my aunt's house. And we used to live off the same stop on the end train in Queens, and I'd see him on the train all the time. I did refrain from being a psycho, but I felt like it was such a missed opportunity to be like, hey, I saw you in Westside in high school. <laughs> anyway, speaking of missed opportunities, there was a real missed opportunity not to slip in a JoJo song in the medley. She and Christian have this medley that they do where it's like all of these pop songs, and it would have been so iconic if they like, just slipped in a little, like, leave, get out or something, you know? They really dropped the ball there. It was basically like, JoJo does covers for three hours, and I died. It was amazing. Back to other TV news. Are you watching Glamorous? I'm watching Glamorous. It's so fucking delightful. I just love that we're getting queer stories that are fun and light, for the most part. Also, I have to say... Marco's first interaction with Madeline is giving me major, like, deja vu-esque vibes for me. I may have mentioned that I was on an episode of Sex and the City. Well, my brief scene was actually opposite Kim Cattrall, who is just so unbelievably iconic. And the story goes that I read for the part of McDonald's worker, and I actually would have gotten to play opposite Sarah Jessica and Barishnikov, like, what? A dancer's dream. But Michael Patrick King saw something in me. Actually, it might have been the first time I was ever really truly seen in my entire career. He 
saw me read for the McDonald's person. And then he handed me these sides and he was like, go read these. I think this will be like more your speed. And I read the character description and it said, beautiful, vapid hostess. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I guess I can do vapid. He's like, don't worry about the description. Just like go read. Anyway, I got that part and I got to basically be myself. I got to be queer and like starstruck by Smith Jared, who like, if you've ever seen Jason Lewis circa 2003 in person, you would know that like that was not hard to do. The man literally looks like he's been carved out of marble. But anyway, in the scene I was in, I was like throwing major shade to Samantha. And it was fun to do. And she was lovely to work with. At one point, I was kind of struggling. And she looked at me and gave me like the double thumbs up and was like, you're doing a good job. And I just am like ever so grateful for that experience. Anyway, watching Glamorous, I couldn't help but wonder (laughs) what my career would have been like if I was born like 20 years later. When I was working, queer people were mostly like accessories, unless you were like a straight white man playing a mask gay guy, like perfect example, Will Truman is the main character of Will and Grace, while Jack is the like flamboyant sidekick and like the butt of all the jokes. I really do feel like things would have been different for me and so many other people if we were working now or like if we were pursuing, like if I was starting out now as a young person, I would feel so much more empowered to just be me, right? I actually remember my my first agent telling me that he wouldn't send me out for Angel and Rent because like in his words, like that's not the kind of role I should play. But like, hello, that's exactly the kind of role that I should have played. I would have been perfect for that. But he was a very white old man and he did not see me. Michael Patrick King did. But I do feel like that moment in Sex and the City was important. And all the other roles that were written with someone else in mind, right, and a director or whoever decided to think outside the box and be more inclusive, I think all of that going on in the late 90s and early 2000s was important, right? We all paved the way so that someone like Miss Benny could be the main character in a fabulous queer comedy, Anyway, I made a TikTok with me passing the torch to Marco in a sense. It's fun. You can see it both on my TikTok and my Instagram. While I was being like a heinous bitch to Samantha, Marco gets to basically like sing Kim's praises and basically grovel at her feet. It's super fun. I totally see my 23-year-old twink self in there somewhere. I would have never have dreamed there could have been a role out there for me like Marco. And I've mentioned this before about never really feeling like I could be me and be successful. And I think times have definitely changed. So when we have these conversations about where do we see progress, I think that's a place that we see progress. And I know it feels like a dumpster fire right now in terms of like legislation, but I think that there is representation out there for how we're allowed to just like live our lives, feel good about ourselves. Yes, we need to fight the fight, (laughs) but also we can experience love and light and levity. Enough about me. Let's help you. So one of the things I did this past week um, is basically get to lead a panel of Q plus coaches on Brooke Castillo's podcast, The Life Coach School podcast. If you know, I am certified through the Life Coach School, and I've worked with Brooke before in the past. I've also been on her podcast before. And I had written in saying that I thought, like, coming up for Pride, that 
queer representation on the podcast would be amazing. And she came on the call to record. It was like, you know what, Chris, you should lead this. <laughs> and I was like, what? I basically freaked out. But anyway, leading it pretty much looked like her just volleying the conversation back to me throughout so that I could direct where we would go with like what specific things we would talk about um, in regard to the topic of like identity and queerness and authority, etc. So definitely go take a listen to that. I'll link it in the show notes. It was me and other three coaches, and the conversation was honestly amazing. But in talking about identity, it got me thinking about the labels that we use to define us. And one of the main things that I said on that episode was that, like, our identity is not static. It evolves over time. But, like, there can be some constants and some ways in which we do identify and do label ourselves. And I think that that can be worth exploring. And not just like what those labels are, but like what they mean about us or what we make them mean. Additionally, I think coming out of pride, it's a nice moment to reflect on the ways in which labels can be both unifying and foster a sense of belonging and simultaneously be reductive and troublesome. It's always a both and situation for me. And this is coming up specifically on the heels of that, but also because I just recently got an ADHD diagnosis. I know we're all surprised, right? (laughs) Um, But honestly, I was a little bit hesitant to do so because I do have a, a history of going a little too all in on specific identifiers, whether it's like Myers Briggs, Enneagram, we all have heard my human design episode, astrology, whatever. Like, I cleave a little too tightly to what these things say about me. So when considering getting evaluated, I really needed to understand, like, what was the reason? Like, why did I want to know this? And I had originally decided not to get one because I was actually working on self-authority. And I decided with my therapist that I could just give myself permission to have the needs that I have and require the accommodations that I need and be okay with asking for what I need without feeling guilt or shame. And I do think that that was really important work to do. It was very healing for like my inner child. But after doing all of that, I realized that I'm exhausted from trying to manage this and I wanted to explore meds. So here we are. We're exploring meds. And that could only happen if I sought the diagnosis. And I feel really good about that decision. But I also want to talk about labels and how sometimes we're looking for a sense of belonging by being a part of a group. And that can be really awesome and affirming. And part of how I came to this decision to get diagnosed was like seeing a lot of accounts on Instagram talking about ADHD and neurodivergence and like being like, yep, these are my people. This is what I go through. I am seeing myself here. And that was big for me, right? I think that's big for a lot of people. I think a lot of people are coming to specific diagnoses like this later in life because we just have more information now. Again, right? Like we're not going based on like cis heteronormative dominant culture anymore. And so we're starting to like expand our understanding of how these things show up in different kinds of people. 
In terms of other labels, when I think about myself and who I am, queer is the first thing that comes to mind, like literally first. Uh, I was actually listening to Las Las Culturistas this morning, um, and Matt was actually interviewing Miss Benny, full circle, and I felt like I was just sitting with friends, right? The queerness and pop cultureness of it all, it just felt like home. And I think like that was one of the things, like when we find community, right, Part of that is we're being identified through specific labels that were like, this is part of my community. But the other side of that coin is how others can stop being curious about us because of our specific labels, right? So in the queer community, right, like gay, bi, femme, tops, sub, twink, whatever, right? There are a certain set of assumptions made about all of those labels. And sometimes labels are thrust upon us, right? without us owning them, and people make assumptions about us. And other times there are labels that we are owning. But at the same time, part of the mindfuck around this whole thing is that we can start to internalize those assumptions and think that we are no more than those labels, right? We actually like narrow the scope of how we think about ourselves when we're labeling ourselves. And accepting some of the assumptions that come along with those labels. And I want to say, like, I think that we do this because we're looking for something concrete to hold on to because newness is really scary. So sometimes, like, you know, when I'm really going all in on human design, I'm just looking for something to tell me, like, what is, like, the locus of control here? And I think that this is, you know, personal in a, in a sense because I'm a reflector. So having all those open centers means that like I I kind of lack a very like defined thing. So that might be a personal thing. I'm sure some of you can like hear or feel yourself in this when I'm describing it. So we can get like a little bit resistant, I think, to widening or broadening our definition of ourselves. And it's funny because on one hand, as queer people, we actually needed to face ourselves, be honest about who we were, and then give ourselves permission to be that. And that was like a huge step, a huge big deal for a lot of us. And we can draw on that experience and and the strength that it took to do that to help us continue to do it. But oftentimes it's hard to do or we don't want to do it or we don't have the energy to do it because of all the additional labor that we go through on a daily basis. Right. So sometimes we just want something to be easy. Like, can't I just like know one thing about me that's constant that I can like hang on to and not have to constantly be questioning? And the truth is, like, I don't think so. (laughs) Right. Um, We're always discovering new things about ourselves or finding new language to describe who we are. And this is going to be going on for the rest of our lives. Right. For instance, like the terms non binary and like agender were not there when I was growing up. So I don't think who I know myself to be has changed, but the language has changed or like the language has caught up to my experience. I also think that some labels help us identify what to focus on. When we identify a group of people that is under attack, like Black trans women, we can look at the ways in which the world is violent toward them specifically so that we can address it and work for change. And not to the like the dismissal of other identities, but I do truly believe when the world becomes safer for those who have been most marginalized, it gets better for everyone, right? There's an actual trickle up in the way that there's not a trickle down when 
whoever aligns mostly with like dominant normative white supremacist cis hetero culture, right? When you align with that and that gets exalted and there's protections for that, it's not trickling down for everybody else. So what do we do with all this information about identity and how it can work for us or work against us? Well, of course, I have a little bit of homework for you. Don't worry, boo. I want you to write a list of all the ways in which you identify. All of them, right? Like gender, sexuality, um, certain roles. Are you a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, son, daughter, nibbling? What are you? Like, <laughs> like write all those things out. Anything that you can think of. Even like your social class, like socioeconomic class, you can write that down too. Are you middle class? Are you upper class? Are you not? Like, like you can write all the things out. And then once you've done that, I want you to ask yourself, what does it mean to be this, right? Or what does it mean to have this? So for me, what it means to have an ADHD diagnosis is that I actually get to learn more about me and my brain because now I have a framework that I can like look at my experience through. In my conversation with Deb last week, we talked about how queerness is a lens we look at the world through and it colors our experience. So I'm continuously being curious about how that impacts my interpretation of the world. So this diagnosis is the same. It allows me to not just reduce everything to trauma, which is what I was doing before. And it allows me to actually include the trauma of being neurodivergent into the conversation, as well as see what might be trauma-based or what could be just my brain working differently, whatever. Like, it's just giving me more information to pull from and to help categorize things. And it gives me, like, more spaciousness to include all the parts of me and to challenge myself to look at myself outside of these labels. And what's really crazy, and I was talking to my therapist about this, I don't actually believe in these constructed labels anyway, insofar as I don't believe there is a typical brain, right? There is the brain of a cis white man that we're all being compared to, right? Same with BMI, being com- which isn't even supposed to be used as on a population level anyway, doesn't matter. But it's all being compared to like a specific kind of man, And that's the standard that we're supposed to be able to function in. And the world is created for those brains, right? But that's it. That's all that we're talking about. And I can also own the ways in which I have trouble accomplishing the things I want and get support and do things my way so that I can like achieve what I want to achieve. I don't have to make it mean that I'm broken somehow because my brain works differently. When I get curious about this label of neurodivergent and what that means to me, I can make decisions about how I want to move through the world and not be reduced to the diagnosis. So take one identity at a time, pick out some of the thoughts you notice, both affirming and disaffirming. Is that a word? Disaffirming? I don't know. (laughs) And we're going to explore them. Ask yourself how true they are. Notice how they vibrate in your body when you think them. This entire exercise is about claiming what it is about you that lights you up and makes you feel most in alignment with your soul. And notice that we're not talking about you being any kind of person. We want to stay away from like, I'm the kind of person who blah, blah, blah. We're talking about your individuality, your specific traits, desires, temperaments, right? No groups are a monolith. 
And you get to be the fullest expression of yourself within all of the labels that you identify with, even if some of those things seem to be like antithetical to that identity. Maybe there are going to be some things that come up that it's like, oh, it's kind of interesting. Like this doesn't seem like it would be included in this identity. But actually, these two things, even though they feel opposite, really go well together. Maybe opposites are a good thing. For me personally, embracing some of the labels I have has allowed me to find more compassion for myself and thus be more loving to myself. Often, labels had been used as pejoratives, right? Like specific things that have been hurled toward me are like fag, sissy, stupid, girl, slow, difficult, dramatic, sensitive. I've literally been called all of these things. And you know what? Some of them are actually true. I am a sissy. I own it. I'm dramatic. I have big feelings. And I have sensory issues. So yeah, I'm sensitive. And I'm trying to learn how to love those things, right? That's actually why I'm calling this episode Labels or Love. Well, that and I've been totally like immersed in the Sex in the City, like cinematic universe. And I've like rewatched both of the movies and season one of And Just Like That. I'm watching season two of And Just Like That. <laughs> and I keep getting that Fergie song from the movie. Shopping for labels, shopping for love. Like, it just won't leave my head. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I do think we have been told that some of these labels are bad, right? They're actually, like, things we shouldn't like about ourselves, And that we should learn to love ourselves despite these labels. And I just don't think that like any of the labels that we wear are inherently negative. It's like that meme that says like people think cis is a slur because they use trans as a slur. Like these terms are just describing something in a scientific way. There's nothing inherently good or bad or whatever about them. So choose your descriptors. And I want you to make room for you to be a walking contradiction We all are. And when we can't admit that, it's when we dig our heels in too deeply and start making shit weird for everyone. You're human. You're beautiful. You're multifaceted. You're not your labels. And you get to have and hold whatever identity feels most empowering and wonderful to you. I love you so much. Have an amazing week. If you are loving the podcast, it's time to put a ring on it. It would mean the world to me if you would do one or all of these things. First off, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or all the places podcasts are available if you want to be extra. While you're there, giving a five-star rating and leaving a review would be epic. And lastly, spreading the love by sharing your favorite episode would be beyond. Thanks, love. We'll talk soon.